Okay, well, we're glad to be out. We're happy to see everybody out. We trust that you'll get your Bibles, follow along as we open the word of the Lord. And we'll trust that as we open the scriptures, that we'll all be attentive to what God has to say in his word and listen carefully to what God teaches and hopefully that we'll gain and benefit. We'll begin our study here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning here in verse 9, Paul says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infeminate, nor abuse themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Our lesson tonight we entitled, Don't Be Fooled. And so that's our topic as we'll be talking about here 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Our lesson tonight, I want to begin with just some illustrations for us to, uh, to talk about. They're kind of like optical illusion type illustrations. When you look at this, well, what do you see? What, what's the picture of? What, what's it look like? What's it look like, Glenn? It looks like somebody well. Yeah, it looked like a couple guys fell in a hole. There was like a well there and they just sort of fell and they're like, ah, get me out. But in reality, no, it's a, it's a sidewalk. It's a, it's a chalk drawing. If, if you see the guy there, his hand on the, uh, on the very right of the picture, you can see the line there where the, uh, the blocks is on that. Uh, but, but the appearance is it looks like a couple of guys fell in a hole. You see how easy it is that we can kind of be fooled? Let's look at this illustration. You got the horizontal lines. That's the lines that go straight. Which one looks longer, the top one or the bottom? Which one looks longer? What? They're equal. All right, Tom says they're equal. What do you think, Randy? Which one's longer? Are they equal? All right, the top one looks longer, but Tom and Randy says they're equal. Oh, no, <laughs> they're not equal. Actually, the bottom one's longer. <laughs> Yeah, easy to get tricked and deceived. The way you would know for sure is you'd get a tape measure and you'd measure it out there. See, I'll put them right back on. The, the appearance of things. And that's how, how, how things can happen that we can kind of get tricked, we can kind of get fooled. And then I've got one more, those red lines. Do they look like they're bulging a little bit or, or not? Do you think they're exactly parallel? Yeah, they look like they're bulging, don't they? Yeah, Gary. Yeah, Gary says, yeah, he's nodding yes. That, that's the appearance, but let me show you when you put in the green blocks. Well, actually, they're parallel lines. It's, it's something that's kind of deceptive as you're just sort of looking at it. And the point is with these uh, illusions that, that, that we illustrate that so it can be in spiritual matters, that we can get fooled and we can get tricked. And so what God's telling us is don't be fooled. And so in moral and spiritual matters, it's possible to be misled. It happens all the time. It happens in, in, in spiritual matters, in, in doctrinal matters. It happens in moral issues. You think, well, how could anybody be deceived? But sometimes we, we are deceived. We are tricked. We are fooled. And that's why when you have in the Bible there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, don't be deceived, that's saying that, well, sometimes people are going to get deceived. Some people are going to get tricked. Some people are going to get fooled. And so the exhortation is don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. 
All right, he says, don't be fooled. He says, no, you're not, that the unrighteous. All right, who are the unrighteous? Well, it's just a compound word. In Greek, they put the, the alpha or the A, and that was to make things negative. It was people that are not righteous, not just. That's who he's talking about, the unrighteous, those that are not just, those that are not uh, righteous, those that are not doing things that are equitable. He says, no, you're not, that the unrighteous. And then he says, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's kind of an, an emphatic statement. He didn't say, well, they probably won't inherit the kingdom of God. He didn't say, well, they probably won't. Well, there's a chance they won't. Well, maybe they might not. No, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That is, if we're living in the things that Paul talks about here, there's no way that we can go to heaven. We're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, which means going to heaven. Now, can we be washed? Absolutely. And we'll see that as we get to verse 11 there. But he tells us that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, don't be deceived. And when you talk about don't be deceived, he's saying, don't be led astray. It's easy to get off the right path. Get off where we need to be, to be fooled and be tricked, sort of like these optical illusions. You know, we were kind of tricked by, by what we were seeing, what we were thinking, and it wasn't until you kind of change some things that you see really what it is. So don't be fooled, don't be tricked, don't be deceived, don't be led astray, led astray don't be misled. And when it comes to these moral and spiritual matters, well, what's the solution? Well, we just listen to what God says. We pick up the book, we study, we examine, because the devil, he's going to try to pull the wool over our eyes. He's going to try to mislead us, deceive us, and try to fool us. But if we look what God says, well, that's how we can avoid being deceived. How we can avoid being fooled and being tricked and misled, looking at what God has to say. All right, don't be fooled. Let's kind of look at the list of things that Paul talks about and talks about how sometimes people are fooled about these things. All right, first off, Paul says, don't be fooled, don't be deceived. He says that fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what's fornication? Fornication is simply defined as a sexual, illicit sexual intercourse outside of marriage. It happens a lot. God has spoken pretty plainly about that. For instance, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, and verse 4, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. That is talking about the, 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 the sexual union. In marriage, it's something that's good, it's right, it's honorable, it's pure, it's good, it's undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Then notice what Paul says over there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Again, very plain about the matter. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, chapter 6 and verse, verse 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is without the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. And then one more verse to think about in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. And in verse 6, contextually, he's talking about immorality and cleanliness, etc. there. He says, let no man deceive you with vain words. Empty words. Don't let anybody trick you. And sometimes we have folks that are, been, that are being tricked, being fooled, being deceived, being misled about fornication. Like somehow that you can somehow be sexually active one with another outside of the parameters of marriage and... Well, 
we try to convince ourselves that it's okay. Sometimes young people, instead of waiting, they get involved in, in the sexual union. And the reason might be, well, you know, we love one another. It's a loving relationship. You know, we're consenting to it. And hey, you know, we're planning to get married. But still, you haven't made the commitment to marriage. You haven't entered into matrimony. And if you do that before, the Bible calls it fornication. The Bible calls it sin. And it is a transgression against God. And sometimes we try to deceive ourselves thinking it's still okay. But it's not okay. And that's what Paul said. Don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. We think, well, it's going to be okay. But it's not okay. Because the line of demarcation, it's called matrimony. And when you make the commitment to matrimony, okay. After that, it's fine. It's good. It's right. But before, no, it's not right. So don't be fooled on that matter. Then Paul talks about in our list of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 of things not to be deceived about. He talks about idolaters. Idolatry is the worship and the homage and putting trust in something other than God. Our trust needs to be in God. His word and, and his will that's revealed in the Bible. That we're putting our confidence in the Lord that we trust in him and that we believe in him. And the problem sometimes is that we exalt and we set things up and put our trust and confidence in them. You have that many times in the Old Testament. We sort of mentioned in the Bible class how sometimes uh, people would go back uh, and, and they would trust in the, in the Egyptians to save them or they trust in this nation to help save them instead of trusting in Jehovah. No, we're not to be idolaters. We're not to... Uh, pay homage to these types of things. Sometimes money, the almighty dollar, we put our trust and confidence in that. The Bible talks about the fleeting riches. And don't put trust in, in the almighty dollar because it's not the almighty. It's simply a medium of exchange and can be a useful tool. And then sometimes people put, uh, put uh, uh, exaltation of education. Again, nothing wrong with education. But then when we exalt it and elevate it above the word of God, there is problems there. And I think of the passage over there in the book of Luke. In the book of Luke chapter 9, in Luke chapter 9, notice there in verse 23. Uh, Jesus says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. All right, so we're, we're to take up our cross daily in following the Lord. Now this cross that he talks about here, that is the cross that we bear upon our heart. That is, we crucify the old man. And I think some have deceived themselves thinking that they, if they wear a little lapel cross or they wear a necklace or cross earring somehow, that somehow that's going to make them more devoted or somehow right with God. It will not. You could wear it every day. You could, you could wear it all over. You could have 15 uh, cross uh, on your lapels, upon your blouses, upon your shirts, upon your jackets. It doesn't make you righteous. It might remind you to be thinking about the cross of Jesus Christ. But when you begin to put trust in that, that somehow that's going to make you right with God, that, that's like idolatry. You made an idol out of that thing. We don't trust it in some little gold lapel or necklace to somehow make our life right with God. I've, I've seen people, they're kind of wicked and they speak wicked and they do wicked things and yet they'll wear these crosses and I'm thinking that's kind of contradictory. And I think folks have been fooled. 
and putting trust that somehow it's going to be beneficial and helpful. It is not. Because we better be bearing our cross upon our heart, not bearing a cross upon a necklace or upon our lapel or a bracelet or whatever. Yeah, don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. And then Paul talks about adulterers. Well, adultery is illicit sexual intercourse outside of marriage. That is involving some married person. You have to have at least one of the people involved in, uh, that, that's married to be counted as an adulterer. And, of course, you hear people talking about that they're just having an affair. Well, why don't they just call it, you know, I'm, have, I'm in an adulterous relationship. Why don't they call it that? No, well, I'm just having an affair. It sounds a little bit smoother. Sounds not quite as bad if we just call it an affair or have a paramour, that is, a love on the side. No, that's kind of empty words. People are deceiving. Just call it what it is. It's sin. It's transgression. It's wrong. It's, it's uh, uh, a transgression against the law of God. I think about uh, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9. And here's, here's something a, a lot of people have been deceived about. When Jesus was asked, can, can, is it lawful for a man to divorce, divorce his wife for every cause, there in verse 3, they weren't asking, is it, it, do people do it? Yeah, they do, it, they do it for every reason in the first century. They do it every reason today. They're not asking legally, that is, can you go to the courthouse and get your lawyer and legally get divorced? Yeah, you can legally get divorced. That, that term that's translated, is it lawful, Mr. Strong, he says in the definition, is it right? They're asking, is it right? Now, if you ask if something is right, you're thinking now in the sight of God. So they're asking, is it right? That is, is it right in the sight of God? For a man to divorce his wife for every cause. And, of course, Jesus says, well, no, from the beginning, what God intended was one man, one woman for life. And he draws from creation. And then they say, well, what about Moses? Well, what about what Moses said there in Deuteronomy chapter 24? Well, what about that? The, this right in divorce, man. He said, well, because of the hardness of your heart, that he suffered you to put away, from, uh, put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And Jesus says in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 19, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except to be for fornication, and shall marry another, commits adultery. And whoso marries her that is put away, does commit adultery. Jesus gives a rule. The rule is, if you marry, you divorce, you marry somebody else, you commit adultery. You marry, you divorce, you marry somebody else, you commit adultery. That's the rule. And there's one exception to that rule, except to be for fornication. That's what Jesus said. And then it would not be a case of adultery if you marry, divorce, for the cause of fornication, and then marry somebody else. No, that's not adultery. But what happens today, people divorce for every reason under the sun, you know, he hunts all the time, or she shops too much, or she picked up weight, or he picked up weight. He doesn't, he doesn't help me around the house. Oh, blah, 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 what, whatever, in-law problems. Oh, she burnt the toast, uh, you know, what, whatever. And so people just break up the home, and I think, okay, they're going to go out and marry somebody else, and they got their, you know, they got their marriage certificate. Let's use this. You know, I've got, we got our marriage certificate, and we think, you know, we're okay. It's, it, you know, we, we're legally married. Well, no, it's not. If this couple, before the divorce, if one of them goes out on a one-time fling with somebody else, the man goes out with another woman, the woman goes out with another man, what do we call that? I mean, oh, yeah, that's adultery. 
Now suppose it goes on for six months. They're having this fling for six months with this guy. Or six months with this gal. What do we call that? Well, okay, that's adultery. But then if you divorce and you go and get somebody else, what do we call, oh, well, that's a-okay. No, it's still adultery. Why? Because you belong one to another. You make the commitment. You say, I do. When you get married, you take this man to be your lawful wedded husband, and we say, I do. And you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife, and we say, I do. And so for sickness and health, for better, uh, for, uh, for richer, for poor, for better, for worse, until death do us part. That's the promise we make. And then we renege on our promise, and we get shed of the one we have, and we go out and get married, and we try to trick ourselves. And deceive ourselves and fool ourselves that it's right. And what Paul says, don't be fooled, don't be deceived. You, you can't be involved in adultery and go to heaven. Can you, can you be forgiven? Yeah, you can be forgiven. Yeah, you can repent and you can find forgiveness inside of God. But you can't, you can't, you can't maintain uh, an adulterous relationship and somehow get to heaven. And then Paul talks about homosexuals. That is, in, in, the, in, in the O King James, it said, infeminate. Uh, that is, infeminate by perversion. That is, he's talking about homosexuals. Because when you talk about homosexuality, that is, the male type, you're going to have in that relationship of these two men being together, one is going to take on feminine qualities. That is, going to, in perversion, be more like the woman. And in a lesbian relationship, you'll have these two women, and one will maintain being feminine, and the other lesbian, she'll take on masculine qualities. I mean, that's just that's kind of the way it works. That's just that's the way it happens. And what he says that well, it, it's transgression. It's, it's it's unjust. It's it's not just in the sight of God. And a lot of people say, well, you know, but I was born that way. You're deceiving yourself. You're just fooling yourself. Or, you know, we're in a meaningful relationship. And now, hey, look at all these churches. You know, they, they, they uphold homosexuality, and they say it's okay, and they, they ordain homosexual ministers and lesbian ministers, and, and they say it's okay. And you know the Supreme Court a few years ago, they legalized homosexual or same-sex marriages. Yeah, that's true. That, that happened, unfortunately. But don't be deceived. God, God didn't change on the matter. This book that we hold, which was inspired of God, revealed both in the Old Testament, the patriarchal age recorded for us, the Mosaic age recorded for us, and the Gospel of Christ was recorded for us, and in all ages, same-sex relationships have been counted as sin and transgression. And what Paul said, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. Don't listen to these vain, empty words trying to convince people that it's okay. I mean, it's crazy, the stuff that goes on trying to promote. And don't even assign, don't even talk about what the gender of babies are when they're born. We'll just wait until they get older and we'll see which one they want to be. And that, that's, that's stupid. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious if they're little boys or little girls, but... I don't know. People are tricked, fooled all the time. And that's what Paul's saying. Don't be fooled. Don't be tricked about the matter. And then look at something else on the list. He talks about thieves. A thief is somebody that takes possessions that don't belong to them. 
think of things that, that are not yours and to keep them for yourself. And Paul says, don't be tricked about that. Now, you know, probably most people are not deceived by thinking, well, you're not going to rob a bank and it'll be okay. Most people say, no, that's not right. But there are more subtle forms of thievery that sometimes happen, that people sometimes trick themselves about. Uh, for instance, notice over there in uh, 1 Thessalonians, oh, no, not 1 Thessalonians, Titus, Titus chapter 2 there. In verse 8 and 9, talking about, uh, or 9 and 10, excuse me, talking about servants, that is slaves, we, we would parallel today to uh, the employer-employee relationship. It says, exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters that, uh, and to please them uh, well in all things, not answering again, not purloining. Not purloining. That is, maybe you're working for a company, you're working for some business, and you begin deceiving yourself, thinking, well, you know, I'll be making more than what they're paying me. And we begin to think, well, you know, they're a big company, they got a lot of money, and so we'll just sort of help ourselves to some of the supplies they have, some of the things they have, we'll just take them, we won't say nothing, but that's purloining. Now, you might ask, there might be something at the company that's been sitting around, and you might ask the, uh, the, the boss, the manager, well, what about that old whatever it might be? What are we going to do with that? And do you, could, you think I can have it? Now, if they say, sure, you could take it, okay, you could take it. If, if, if it's okay, it's okay. You ask permission. But if you take something that really doesn't belong to you, maybe it belongs to the company, and you think that you deserve it or you should be entitled to it, well, that's like thievery. That's stealing. Well, here's another form of stealing that people sometimes get deceived about, and that is gambling, like the lottery, lottery tickets, and you know, horse racing, and gambling, all that stuff. Well, what, what, what is gambling? Gambling based upon some, whether it's the numbers that come up, or uh, who's going to win the race, or what horse wins the race, that you wager, and... Really, what it is, is stealing by consent. People consensually give their money. I'm going to take this team, I'm going to put up $5, and others say, I'm going to take this team, and I'm going to put up $5. And so you consent to it, doesn't make it right, any more than consenting to fornication makes it right. And so whoever's team wins, then you'll take the total $10. Well, it's stealing by consent. And that really is what, 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 what uh, covetousness is and, and a manifestation of thievery. And that is, of course, stealing, taking things that don't belong to you, taking other people's money, even though it's consensual that people gamble, but it doesn't make it right. Or you think about Matthew chapter 22 where Jesus was asked, well, what about paying taxes? Well, Jesus, show me a coin. They show the coin. So, well, whose image do you see on there? And they said, well, that's Caesar's image on that little coin there. And Jesus says, you render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and you render to God the things that are God's. Which Paul exhorts us in, first, uh, uh, in Romans chapter 13 that we're to pay our taxes. And sometimes what we do, we kind of begin rationalizing and deceiving ourselves and, and duping ourselves, thinking, well, you know, government wastes a lot of money. And so we think if we can kind of cheat on our taxes of what we are obligated to pay, and we can get away with it, we think we're okay. Well, that's, that's stealing by, by deception. 
we don't have right to that. It's not ours. We're, we're to pay what we're to pay. Now, do they have deductions and all that? Can you use them? Yeah, that, that, that's part of the tax code. No problem there. But to be dishonest and cheat and connive? No, we, we, don't need to be, we don't need to be that way. We need to be honest and just pay what we owe. If government waste it, then that's on government's fault. We're just to do what God tells us to do, and that is don't steal. Don't be a thief. Don't be tricked. Don't be fooled. Just be honest. Be honorable in your obligations. And uh, everything will be all right. And then Paul continues on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 of things don't be deceived about. He talks about covetous. Don't be covetous. Covetous. That is this greediness. It's avarice. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And the problem with covetousness is that the more we want things, the more temptation that we will do things that are not exactly right or fail to do what we need to do in order to gain it. And we get ourselves in deep trouble in being covetous. You know, it's like, well, he's a hard worker. Well, nothing wrong with being a hard worker. Nothing wrong with being industrious. Nothing wrong with trying to get ahead trying to, uh, to, uh, to make a living and, and to, to make money. Nothing wrong with that. But when it causes us to forsake the Lord and divine obligations, forsake family, family obligation, and we become workaholic, well, then it's sort of kind of got out of the realm, out of what God would say and would be allowed. And maybe the root cause is covetousness. You don't, you don't find many people confessing covetousness. You do read about back there in the story of Jericho when they were defeated AI and the, they cast lots and, and it finally come to the one that stole the idols there, the, the little golden idol thing. You see, they weren't, that, that wasn't theirs, but they took it. But finally confessed up, yeah, I coveted it. I mean, they were told not to take it, but the fellow confessed, yeah, yeah, I took it. Even, even though... Didn't you know it was wrong? Yeah, you know it was wrong. But why'd you do it? Well, because I wanted it. And that's the problem with covetousness. Uh, we sometimes trick ourselves about those types of things. We can be covetous about, uh, about our obligations. I think about what Malachi, that, that's an interesting passage. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8, it says there in Malachi 3 verse 8, Will a man rob God? Rob God? Surely, surely somebody wouldn't rob God. Surely somebody wouldn't go to the, the temple offering, temple treasury, and just start taking a bunch of money. Surely nobody would go to the baskets back there and start picking up money, oh, picking up the money and putting it in, the, in their pockets. Surely nobody would do that. Well, probably not. But notice what it says. Will a man rob God? Yeah, you have robbed me. But you say, when have we robbed you? In tithes and offering. That is... That was an Old Testament law, the, the tithe, that is to give 10%, and we're commanded to give. And we're to give generously, that's what the Bible talks about. But suppose we decide, well, you know, I'm not, I don't want to give to the work of the Lord. Maybe we're capable and should give, based upon our prosperity, we should give, we should give $50. And think, well, you know, things are kind of tight, and really I kind of like to go out to eat, and I'd like to go to the movie, and so, well, I'll just sort of skim on that just a little bit. Because God doesn't really specify, but we know we should have gave the $50. And we're only going to give 20 because, you know, hey, we want to go out to eat and we want to go to the movie. You see how we can rob God 
That is failing what we ought to give. See, that, that would be a more subtle way and uh, a manifestation of covetousness. We think maybe we're going to get away with it, but God knows and we know what we ought to do. And to be generous and to give to the work of the Lord. And then Paul says something else, don't be deceived about, that is the drunkard shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That is to be intoxicated, that is mind-altering substances. Generally we think of, of drunkenness, that is the, uh, the use of alcohol, and so it is, but you can have drugs, uh, chemicals, that will do the same thing, that will alter the mind, that will take away sobriety. And God's pretty plain about the matter. He talks about drunkenness. Sometimes, and let me just notice something here. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, sometimes people say, oh, yeah, yeah, drunkenness, yeah, that's that definitely wrong. You know, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't, shouldn't get drunk. But notice there in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, For the time past of our lives may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. Well, now what's the will of the Gentiles? Well, Peter's saying, well, you, you waste enough time doing the will of the Gentiles. What's the will of the Gentiles? All right, he, just, he describes when we walked in lasciviousness, lust. That's what happens at the parties, is the carousing and the involving immorality and, and uh, things along that line. Excess of wine, revelings, parties, and abominable idolatries. That was kind of sort of the cover to justify it if, if you do it to Baal, if you do it to Jupiter in their worship. <laughs> It's kind of interesting. Their worship was, was, it was for some god, but really it was the satisfaction of the, uh, of the god of passions and, and the lust of the flesh. But notice he talks about excess of wine. All right, that would be drunkenness, just total intoxication. Then he talks about revelings. Revelings is the idea of sort of, is half loop. That is, you, you become big mouth. And it just, you become so uh, outgoing and flamboyant and, and inhibitions are taken away. And that's, you know, singing how dry I am and, you know, saying all kinds of stupid stuff. That's the half drum. All right. That's the will of the Gentiles. And then parties or drinking parties. I think New American Standard translates it drinking parties. That, that would be social drinking. The problem with social drinking is that we think, well, you know, but it's not drunkenness. If you, drink, if, you drink, if you just drink a few, well, that's not being drunk. Well, that's true, it's not being drunk, but it's still the will of the Gentile. That's what Peter says. He talks about those that are bombed out drunk, and they're just laying over like, blah, you know, and they're just sort of out of it, or they're throwing up for, which is kind of an uh, auto-protection of the body, it's just to throw up, because if that alcohol stayed in your body, you would be poisoned to death, so the body throws up and you vomit it out to, uh, to prevent you from uh, dying. And then the guy that's half loop, or the guy that's half loop, but then the social drinkers, just drinking a few. It's all described as the will of the Gentiles. And one thing for sure, if you never take your first drink, there's never any danger to become bombed out drunk, or to become drunk. And another thing that people do to try to deceive themselves, saying, well, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a sickness. You know, they have the disease of alcoholism. It's kind of like you catch a cold. Well, if you catch a cold, I mean, do you feel guilty if you catch a cold? Well, probably not. I got a sore throat. It's killing me. You 
know, and got the earache. And they might feel guilty. You know, yeah, I'm going to be sure to go. I get feeling better. I'm going to go forward and confess that, you know, I had a cold. No, nobody does that if, you, if it's a sickness like that. And so if you're told, well, your alcoholism is, is just a sickness, well, it doesn't, doesn't sound so bad. And really, you're not really doing wrong. It's just sort of overcome you, just like you caught a cold. You didn't mean to do that. Well, no. If you want to call it a sickness, it's a, it's a sickness of sin. It is a transgression of God's will. And Paul says again, don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. You, you can't be a drunk and somehow get to heaven. And then in the list, he talks about revilers. Now, what, what's a reviler? A reviler is one who heaps abusive language upon somebody else. And the Bible has something to say about this that we want to look at in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and in number 17. 1 Peter 2 and verse 17. Peter says, honor all men or honor all. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Honor all men. Did he say honor some men? Did he, honor, did he say honor most men? No, he says honor all men. But is everybody is due respect. Even people that are in sin and transgression. They should, they should be honored as, as creatures in the sight of God, as human beings. They may be off track or they may be doing wrong. That doesn't mean you have to honor their sin, but to be respectful in the sense that they're human beings. May have done despicable things, may have done horrible, horrendous things, but still, doesn't give us the right to treat them like a mere animal. And that's what reviling is, is to heap abusive language upon somebody. You know, to talk to, talk to somebody like, like a dog. We, we have no, we have no uh, right, we have no authority, because Peter says you honor all men, but then if we talk to people like a dog, that's what reviling is, well, we're... We may think we're okay, and well, you know, they're bad people, and that, ju that doesn't justify us to be ugly and have ugly tone and disposition. I mean, we can say, yeah, they're doing wrong. Yeah, what they're doing is a terrible transgression. Yeah, what they're doing is, 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 is terrible in the sight of God, but doesn't give us justification to talk to people like dogs and just talk to them like they're just dirt. We can still be respectful of people in transgressions. I mean, look at Jesus. He, he talked to people that were in terrible transgression, but he was respectful because they're still human beings. And so we're to honor all men. No excuse for reviling and be abusive with our words and our tone. And then finally, Paul lists in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 of things don't be deceived about. He talks about extortioners. Extortion. Ah, swindler, blackmail. We generally think of blackmail. And there's sometimes uh, we, we would certainly recognize that we would kidnap somebody and say, all right, you've got to give us $10,000, you've got to give us $50,000. Well, we'd understand that kind of extortion. Blackmail is obviously wrong. Most people wouldn't do it. But sometimes we do more subtle forms of extortion. Maybe somebody... You know, there's something, you know, is going on at the congregation. Something's going to be decided about. Somebody that was going to be supporting or some work to be done. And we get kind of discontented and grumbled. And, well, I'm just going to quit giving if, if this decision is made. Well, then, that, then, then <laughs> we're going to withhold our, our, our giving. 
in, in, in extortion to try to get our way? No, if, it, if it's scriptural, not if it's something unscriptural, certainly we, we would oppose that. But if it's just a matter of judgment, can we extort to try to get our way? I would think not. I think that would fall in the realm of what was happening here. Sometimes you'll see little kids. <laughs> they'll be. It's kind of like you you go to the the grocery stores or or the department stores, and you get up to the checkout line. They got all these little goodies there, and you got kids. And kids, you know, they just they want they want some candy, they want some gum, and then sometimes kids, <laughs> maybe they've picked it up from their parents. If they sort of throw a tantrum, maybe their mom or dad will buy it for them. <clears throat> well, that that's not the way things ought to be done. And that needs to be dealt with and explained for the child. But sometimes, as adults, we get like that. You know, we're going to throw a tantrum to try to get our way. And that's what extortion is. And Paul said, don't be extortioners. Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or 1 Corinthians chapter 7 there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about in the marital relationship that, that husbands and wives are to render due benevolence one to another. And he says, defraud you not one another except to be with consent. Sometimes uh, spouses will withhold themselves and their obligations and, and responsibilities or try to get their way. Well, that would be a form of extortion. And, well, again, we're not to do that. All these things. Don't, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. Don't be misled. We can't be involved in these things. And somehow think we're going to get to heaven pretty plain. He says, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But we can be washed. That's what Paul says in verse 11 there. Look at it once again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Notice down there in verse 11 after talking about all these lists of things. And he ends in verse 10 that those that do these things shall not inherit, uh, uh, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Some of you Corinthians, you were guilty of all these things, of, of homosexuality, of fornication, of thievery, of drunkenness, of covetousness, of idolatry, etc. Such were some of you. Were is past tense. You used to be that. But you're washed. That's where the power of the blood of Christ comes in. That's where repentance comes in. Because when he says such were some of you, that is you used to be that, those, those things, but when you leave them and you come to Christ, you can be uh, washed, you can be sanctified, that is now set apart for divine use, and you can be justified, that is made just as if you had never sinned. That is because of the power of forgiveness. And that's the great thing about the gospel, that yeah, we could be guilty of any or all these things, and yet we can still be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we extend the invitation with that thought. Have you been washed? You might be guilty of all the things that we've talked about, I may not be guilty of any of these things, but guilty of other sins. That's certainly the plight of all humanity. We've all sinned, come short of the glory of God. But the promise and the, and the offer of the gospel is that we can be washed, we can be pardoned, we can be forgiven, we can be made right, justified, sanctified, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And, of course, it's by simply obeying these steps of salvation to become a Christian. Here, we believe in Jesus, the Son of God. We believe that message with all our heart. Willing, willing to obey His command to repent, to make that turnaround in heart. Be willing to confess our faith. Be willing to be baptized. Then we cause to walk in newness of life. Grow and be faithful, Peter says. And if we do err, come back through repentance and prayer as we see the example of the Christians that erred and made their life right. 
We're going to sing this song to your encouragement. If you need to be washed by the blood of Christ, we invite you to come and let us know that if we can help you in any way. While together as we stand and as we sing.